0: of that model is a way to get stuck again in knowing. For me, it feels that way.
1: Well, in the way we're talking, Go includes feedback and shift. Okay. And, it, and it's actually simultaneous.
0: And that's how it feels. And it, and it really does feel that way. Like, there's not a lot of time for me to use my mind in, in that. My mind gets used, but it's not.
1: So there's an aliveness in that way of being that isn't allowed if things are known and if there's time to figure it all out. And like that, there's an an aliveness that is... uh, (coughs) joyful, and there's also a way that things are moving way too fast for the mind, and wave, and uh, and and we're, we're having the necessity to have access to resources that are not ours. So that in that way, we can only do the job if we're in the service of something greater than ourselves that has those resources available, so that we're actually functioning simply as an instrument of the thing that's greater than us, using those resources and, and delivering What's wanted and needed um, beyond what we ourselves, if we know who we are, are capable of providing. And I think I just sort of scanned everybody, and I think everybody in here is involved in at that level of necessity in our, in our laboratories, in our lives. Everybody's like working in places where that kind of functioning is. We're called into that really every day. So we get a chance to practice uh, in the consideration of both of the things that we've been talking about. One is of going in knowing that the world is far more alive than we normally allow it to be. And by liberating that aliveness by not naming or judging or criticizing or declaring or using is glue, we talked about is glue before, didn't we? We did.
2: Of, of.
1: Do you want to explain it?
2: Well, when you said it, what I connected was that if we say something is something or we use that word. Then we glue those two concepts together, and there, there's like a bond there that, that is difficult or impossible to break because we, it's our creation
1: of it. Yeah, and the word is doesn't exist in nature. It's a thing we fabricated to glue things together to create worlds, but we put, once we put, you know, you are bad, or I am angry, or whatever the thing is. You know, this is a rug. Whenever we put those, whenever we glue those <coughs> things together with the is-glue, then we act as if it's so. We're, we're locked into a um, formulation. And and the, possi- the possibility is just to recognize, to do that on purpose, to recognize our overuse of is-glue in the, in the world. And the the falseness of it, the um, fictitiousness of it, the the fact that it's always a fabrication of the mind, and it's always a, something we're putting together for a purpose, and the purpose is often not a conscious purpose. But we're always, you know, lab- we're always thinking, you know, this is this, uh, this job is impossible, I am tired, you know, like, you know, you, whatever. you're not doing it, whatever. And however, we put the is glue together. It's a fabrication.
3: We did. We played around for a very short time in my class. At the beginning, when we were first talking about what is human communication, and one of the things is is that language is arbitrary. Words are made up. This is a sofa, only because we all agree it's a sofa. Could be a strawberry. And so we played with that. And in five minutes, it was like we had chaos. <laughs> I mean, it was chaos, because there was nothing, there was no, nothing meant anything. And we couldn't, we realized pretty quickly, we couldn't even communicate with each other, because if you think this is a strawberry, and I think it's a sofa, then we, ha- we can't even talk to each other. So it's, it's like, we, we all agreed on these names and labels and rules, so stuff made sense. That's the purpose of language. So it is totally limiting. And and the other side of it is it would be total chaos in a way without
1: it. Yes, and the experiment that we're inviting is to go into that chaos and see how to function in that kind of chaos. That's the experiment and to see how to produce results in the chaos without having to nail it first, without having to kill it first. Just to have that level of aliveness be there and still still have an impeccable, responsible um, relationship with the world.
2: In a way, it's kind of like being pregnant because I mean, I just think of this, like there's something going on for me in my body that I don't really have much to do with now, but yet I have everything to do with it. And it seems to me like what you're talking about is something that we're gonna, I mean, it ties in with what Red Hawk's been talking about. It's gonna happen in our body at some level because there's a there's like a wisdom in our body that we, that we aren't connected to anymore. And, the, you know, like what you said about the language, we, that's part of the creation to perpetuate the box and, you know, keep everything safe and orderly in, in its place. I mean, we've, we've created language as a culture to do that. And yet, there are parts of us, um, you know, and he talked about, like, our women, you know, the different brains and the evolution of stuff. There are parts of us that are infinitely more wise than. Than our cortex, which is the slowest and the newest, and you know, I keep thinking some of these experiments that you're talking about are sort of like each of us being pregnant with something. Might not be a baby, but it's with something that's coming from inside of us. It's, it's an expression that's coming from inside of us, and and part of us knows how to do this. And, you know, my body knows how to grow a baby. I don't know how to grow a baby, but my body does. And so I am allowing it to do that. And I'm creating, you know, I'm I'm taking certain, making certain choices to maximize the environment or whatever, you know, but but really my body knows how to do it and I don't have much to do with it. And so I'm making some small connections between what you're saying, like as far as different experiments. And when Fred said, how do I do that? Well, on some level, on some level, like, part of, us, part of us knows. And if we can connect to that, connect or, or allow that part of us to do what it can do, really, not block it, then that's how we can, like, give birth to something different, in a way. Yeah.
4: There's, there's a relationship to vulnerability like Red Hawk was saying, you know, that the mind has two functions. One is to solve technical problems. The other one is to communicate with other machines. And so I had an experiment today at work where I was on the phone getting ready to have what is normally just a normal conversation with another technical person that I was calling for support. And I couldn't language anything suddenly. You know, I couldn't language in the way that I normally do and I realized that I was not in my head. I was attempting to do this in some, some other some other way where I wasn't in my head and I didn't know how to do it, but the words just came, but I did feel very vulnerable to be in that space of not, I couldn't formulate the words that I thought I was wanting to say in the way that I normally do. And so the conversation that arose had to be real spontaneous and unknown to me as it was rising. <laughs> so. It was really interesting though to, to experience myself being open and vulnerable in, in this conversation that I wasn't formulating from my head. and So that's kind of the space I really am interested in is the, a space that does allow that spontaneity and that element of creativity to be there. And it is, I do feel a little scared about not having the control that I normally do when I'm in my head and I know everything backwards and forwards, which is really kind of a dead space for me too, I mean it's just one more repetition. You know, in modeling, he was talking about how modeling and repetition are the two ways that we learn. And so, it seems that if I want to learn something new,
1: I have to step out of the repetition of the nine. Wow. I think this thing Betty was talking about too is really strong for us, too. Which is what you're saying is we go to school and we learn to speak and we uh, read books and there's all this this whole uh, this, this whole way of languaging things and using language puts us opens up for us at the beginning. It opens up for us this really interesting world with these books and ideas and stuff. But it's a it's a verbal reality, and we we go into this verbal reality and more and more it blocks off we make that that is what's real and it blocks off the innocence that we have which is the vaster bodily relationship to the world where things are alive so we're living our lives through a verbal reality as if that was what was so or that was what was true or this is how the world works or this is how this is what's and it's all this verbal reality and there is another reality and. We aren't it's scary to, get, to have access to this other reality. And it's really known to us already at, in the bodily level, at the bodily level, but that the re, 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 um, restricting ourselves to the verbal reality disallows our access to the other reality. And so there's a, a terrible moment. We realize that the verbal reality is so small and limited, and like a prison. And but at the same moment, then it's pretty exciting because it's it means that there's other reality that's just on the outside of there, just just there. That's a context even that's even that that the verbal reality is within, and that we have direct access through the body into the bigger reality, and it's. Um, it's actually safe for us to be there because that's where we were born into we, we have that it's it's home it's actually home for us, and we've been living in this little house and there's this whole world with all this life and stuff going on we're living in this little box
5: well the, and we get punished for not being in that verbal reality oh, yeah and and out of fear, I play the ver- verbal reality game i mean i i mean why would I even want to go over there because? You know, I don't wanna be killed.
3: Yeah, there's a whole, there's a communications theory that just the title of it, just the name of it sort of says it all. It's called coordinated management of meaning. <laughs> oh my God. No, that's just sort of the what the how the world is set up. I'm thinking about organizations who run on, you know, the coordinated management of meaning. This is what it means. If you're outside that, you're punished somehow. And not, you know, that's not valued and wrong. And um, so, what school is? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I,
6: I think about like it just sort of blows my mind thinking about Christopher because it's like I intentionally spent years labeling things for him, which you know, on one hand was necessary for him to function in the world, and you know, I'm sitting here thinking, and at the same time, like how limiting, how limiting that has been for him because, you know, it's like, he has a name, he has a label, but it's what, it's what I gave it or it's what, you know, it's like, um, how people, things get labeled for people even not verbally because if, if somebody sees you use, um, something in, in a way, like a potato peeler, to, and somebody else doesn't, it's like in a way, it's like they come to a conclusion and in a way label it even though it's not necessarily those words. But, um, you know, like, he didn't get, like he didn't get that. And, and like what a huge influence I had on him because I was the primary person for, you know, for, for five years that went that, and we did that. I mean, we went through the grocery store, we went through the house, everything was, that's a whatever, and I mean, and, and like, sort of to fit in the world, it, I thought he needed to know that butter was yellow. And maybe he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting here <laughs> you know, or, yeah, it's like <coughs> But I think, you, I think
2: that what you're saying is is true, I mean, if you want to use the word true, like, there is, like, we do have to function in the world, but I think, I think what's happened is, we've forgotten that there's something else. So it's really a question of consciousness and attention, like, can we reconnect to those other choices, you know, to those other places, those other worlds, so that we can have freedom to choose where we're gonna be? And, and we can be in the world that knows how to produce things, like, you know, can we be in the world of, of our bodies and move from that place and still function with the other machines around us, you know? And I mean, for me, it's like as, I, as you pr- present the question or as I listen to Red Hawk present his questions, it's like, it's like a whole other world is is shown to me because I'm conscious of something else, of the possibility of something else. Not that I want to kill this world, which is was sort of you know the way I was taught when I was growing up. You find something better, you kill the other thing, you go with that. You know maybe maybe what the challenge is is to be able to be in both or be in all the millions, or I, mean, I don't even know, whatever, however
1: many there are. Well, there's definitely a progression. The, the kind of game that we're playing in terms of transformation is a sophisticated methodology. This is, we're using, it's a left-handed tantric tradition that uses everything. So it's the fourth way tradition, which is all things at the same time all levels going at the same time. It's that, that's the kind of, of methodology of the tradition that we're working in. So in that tradition, mostly everyone will fail. That's how it is. Mostly, we will all fail most of the time, with most everything, because that's, the, that's how this tradition is so I think that there's so much involved in terms of first you have to know the name of everything before you can transcend the necessity of naming everything so then you have both worlds available you can name everything or you can function nameless not knowing the names but you can't function you can't function without the name of things until you already know the name it's like you can't have your innocence back until you've lost it. And then you can get your innocence back and know what it is. But if you have the innocence without having lost it, you don't know what the innocence is. It's just innocence. So we're talking about a high-level sophistication of adult that has a complex and highly developed personality and psychology that is then going back and accessing the innocence again, knowing what that innocence is and putting it to a use that's higher, of, of serving, you know, a higher service. U- utilizing, accessing the innocence through the adult. Through the <clears throat> and you can't... So, anyway, I just wanted to... Well, that's what
2: you I teach people in the event. I mean, you give them some names for things that exist for them, then they can have a knowledge of it in a different way.
1: Yeah.
4: There's, a, there's a, a value that I'm learning in sacrificing that which doesn't serve as high purpose as something else. You know, like giving up coffee in the mornings, you know, is something, I've had coffee, I know what it does for me, I've got that experience. And now to give that experience away for the sake of something outside that box you know, is a sacrifice of sorts on some level, and it's like I'm writing on the sacrifices, you know, in a way, that I'm making by making a choice for something to serve something higher, you know, and, and that, there's something in me that knows that I'm writing on that decision, and I'm writing on that sacrifice as a way of elevating my own work somehow. So it helps me, you know, it helps me to, it helps me when finally I can sacrifice and then allow that to be an impetus almost, you know, to the next step or the next level of operating You know, So there's an element of, I understand what you're saying, as far as having to know the situation or having to know the thing before I can, before I can have the privilege of passing it along,
7: giving it up or something. There are people who don't have to know. Like we're a room full of people who have to know. But there are people who have who get it in their body first. And who couldn't explain it. Like my friend Mike is a person who doesn't get it through his head. Doesn't he doesn't get anything through his head. He couldn't explain anything he does. He just like just doesn't happen. He tries to explain it and it doesn't make any sense. And yet he does it. So he's beautiful on the stage and he tries to talk about acting, and you go, shut up. You know? Or he's great in the classroom teaching. Yet if you look at his lesson plans, you think, <laughs> You're in real trouble. So he doesn't he doesn't need to know. And in fact, knowing gets in his way. And he knows that. So he doesn't have any interest in knowing. And he does it, and he does his labelling differently. So he limits himself to stay out of creation differently that there are people who don't, for whom no, they don't trade in creation with knowing.
0: I would say that that's how we all come into the world. I mean, just because I look at kids, and they know and don't, like they know in their bodies. And we as a culture and a society, teach them they need to know differently in order to fit into that managed communication model.
7: But how they know is not the highest way of knowing. See, we have a hierarchy. We teach them the higher way of knowing, when in fact, we don't there honor the higher way of
8: knowing. They have, they have their own language. Kayla expresses an experience to me, and then I go and name it, and she's furious. Because I didn't hear her experience, and well, I have been forgotten to that.
3: We've forgotten that. We, I, I never even knew that I ever knew that. You know, I, mean, I didn't know that when I, when my children were little. I didn't know that they knew. I yeah. didn't know that, yeah. and you know. I have long ago forgotten that there was some intelligence and wisdom besides what was in my head. So, there's no, you know, there's no way to value that because I don't even know to value
7: it. But especially since we've been playing the game our whole life that the person who knows the most is the, you know, is we the know yeah. <laughs> can name it person
4: yeah,
8: who knows the most can. It's, it's, I think this conversation I, reminds me so much of the movie Hook. And I feel like we're being invited <laughs> into the world of magic and creation, and that's a very exciting world. And I already think of my little, my daughter has a craft box. And I think, yeah, I would have a little craft box, and I can take it out, and when I see the is glue, I can just dissolve it. And, and just, it just, I feel excited that I can create create and have little tools to do some uncreating in the process and that's the attitude I want to walk in with every day is is excitement that oh wow what are we going to create today and uh, that's not what I usually wake up thinking or feeling so that's an experiment for me to just go okay open up a little crack box and oh did I glue that dissolve and I want to try that dirty socks dissolve (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
5: yeah, and, and we kill kids too, you know, in that way. Because uh, that's the first punishment. You know, we, we tell them it's not okay to be themselves. It's not okay to not play the language game. It's not okay to to be who they are. And uh, so we start punishing from birth, just to get them into our game so they'll be accepted and, and we can label them as as okay. And I or saw good, a funny or thing good. Or in nice.
3: a catalog today a and it was, was something that was a dog saying expensive shoe I didn't know it was an expensive shoe I thought it smelled like you <laughs> 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 so we even try to label it the dog so I'm bad but you know it's like it's great
2: that like the idea is really appealing to me too but I keep thinking of something that Red Hawk stuff that we can put is that don't go into this thinking that it's going to be anything but painful <laughs> because that is what we are embarking on I and mean, this is a this is a painful process and you know and I think we have to consider like and and we're being taught I and mean, he's helping teach us and you're helping teach us what do we do with the energy of that pain because I think. For so long, we want we cho- you know I have chosen to live in the world of language, so I don't have to feel that because I don't know what to do with that pain. I don't know what to I don't know how to feel it. I don't know how to. I'm scared to death of it. I'm angry at it, whatever. So I create a whole world to avoid the pain of what comes up when I try to be in the moment and I try to honor and create from my body and it's like that's. That's like where I think we have to take our next step is what do we do you know, what what can we do with the pain? How how can we change our relationship to that? Is there something we can create with it? That's where I see like the I know I keep saying this, but that's the possibility for me is how do I transform what's gonna come up so that I don't just get back on the wheel. And do my martyr thing, or do my so so so. What's the next step? You know, and I think I think we're being led to the next step. I mean, at least I, you know, I feel like we're getting glimpses of what's possible to do with some of that, and it's it's all energetics in a way.
7: And impersonal. Mm-hmm. Like if it, if we take credit for it, so if the creation's ours, then it's like that's labeled, that's owned, that is no longer creation. We killed it. So it's like there's something, it's like it's very impersonal about that I created it or that I had anything to do with it. I know
4: that I do. I've, I've really allowed this to be with me more and more. is like Red Hawk. one of the things Red Hawk said was, "It can not be handled in the body. Whatever the experiences are, can be fully handled if I'm present in my body." And um, I, I'm, I'm seeing that that's true because when those moments, those gifts that he was referring to, really occur for me, it is those moments when I am practicing. You know, when I am. Choosing intentionally, choosing to be in my body, present, and self-observing. Not that I do it consistently. Not that I'm good at it by any means at all. But I'm just starting to realize and to see that there's a lot of possibilities.
1: Something that Porna says a lot <coughs> is to trust the process. It's one of guidelines that he uses a lot and suggests often and the oh, what that might look like I mean one of the ways that I've been looking at that lately is just to look at the breakdowns that happened for me in my different lives that, that I'm leading in, in the places where things get blocked or stuck or when I go into um, whatever you know the, all that stuff you know, to to see that that's actually a uh, designed cert- like service like our commitment to um, putting ourselves at stake is rewarded by breakdown problems pain and this the signs of of that the universe is placing in our lives specifically those elements that are perfectly designed to Cause those breakdowns so that so that we can evolve and the, the evolutionary process, the pain that you're talking about is the gift of our is, is the gift in exchange for which we have paid all that we've paid or sacrificed we get back this pain of evolution and that's like that's the game that we're in.
0: That's a relief to me when that happens I mean I have really strong reference points for when I've known. I mean, one was when Gene and I separated and Porna said to me, do you know you've earned this? And I knew what he meant. And, I mean, I was very clear that I had earned that pain um, by working for it. And um, and then recently with Ben, I mean, even last week, you know, sitting in this group and, and weeping or I knew that I had earned... The experience of that pain again. Um, I also knew it when I had that miscarriage last summer that that um, and it, and it is when I somehow get that I'm connected to something other than myself. I don't I don't know that in any way except when I'm experiencing that pain. Um, and so every time I mean every single one of those those three specific examples, um, the other feeling that comes up for me is gratitude, which doesn't make sense to many people, but but I am also really overwhelmed with that, that, oh, this is how I get connected to the rest of the world, and just, and creation.
5: Well, yeah, and, and the pain of, you know, what a gift Ben is, um, to, you know that he we've been given Ben to um, you know, the one you know the fact that I am we're trying to kill him by putting him in the, to society and he's a, a character who is fighting it because of who he is. I mean it's just like it doesn't fit and we're trying to cram him into this, this spot and uh, and so the pain of that and now choosing something different to try to allow him to be who he is. And, you know, with the big question of, so later on, how does he fit into society? And how, you know, what's our work and, and how much of it do we teach him? And, uh, I mean, there's just a huge unknown there. And, and that pain of that is... Uh, and it's it's a constant reminder of, you know, and a chance for us to work.
8: How do we experience the, the process of suffering, the transformational process of suffering, and still hold a space for joy?
1: Joy is suffering.
0: Mm-hmm. You can't separate the two. I mean, my experience of it is you cannot separate the two. If you're really consciously experiencing suffering, there is joy there as well. They are one and the same.
5: Yeah, you go back to it, you have to know the one side to have the other, or the, you know, here and there concept. You have to have there in order to know that here exists.
1: You know, I'll tell you something that's really been going on for me that's really bad. <laughs> 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 what are you laughing about? You're laughing,
4: i bad.
1: <laughs> it's really bad. I mean, I'm just laughing at your language.
4: What? Because that means it's
1: also good. Go ahead. Maybe it's just objectively bad. It's objectively
2: bad.
1: We don't want to hear any Uh, opinions.
2: It's
3: objectively
9: bad and the
2: coordinated management of meaning.
7: (laughs) Hey, hey.
1: No, it's been like... (laughs) (laughs) I was certain that there was something that was real about joy. That that was like something solid and tr- you know, true and everlasting. And <laughs> I, I really, I don't know where I got this come from, but, but for me to start to get that joy passes just like everything else, that's bad. I mean, it's like for me to let go of the hope of joy, of the payoff for a sacrifice, or the hard the hard work you know provide you know creates joy and happiness, or that the successful communication producing openness and trust and bonding and love, like that that doesn't last any longer than the shit lasts. I mean, that to have it be just as transient as everything else, that's bad. I mean, that, <laughs> It's been really bad for me. I mean it's like to give up that, you have to give up I've been having to give up that image, that fantasy, that story about reality or whatever.
3: I feel that way about I don't know what the word would be, neutrality maybe, or equanimity or some you know, some some like where there isn't either one, either side. I, what I hold on to is the hope that there's some, con, you know, constancy mm-hmm. or something. You know, I keep dreaming that that's what I'll find. Yeah. I, I would settle for not even having joy all the time if I could just have any sort of. Then it even sounds like that line that goes across
5: the (laughs) monitor. (laughs) Flat line. Never mind.
0: I'm in the flat line club.
5: I think the constant is that that we know we have four feelings, and that you're going to feel them all four at some time in your life, and that they will leave you. (coughs) That's the one. I guess I'm looking for the fifth one, which is
3: nothing. (laughs) You'll get it, (laughs) doctor. There's
8: a way that that Red Hawk is. That he he speaks with such simplicity and clarity and yet he always seems joyful and he's talking about really serious painful sad stuff but he seems happy and that I'm I'm intrigued by that who he is being in that way and what he's holding hmm. what an experience though. The group knows this, but you, you
2: don't, Clint. On Easter, I was with my cousin who died. And um, I had an experience of feeling all of those things at the same time. Like, at the moment that he died. Like, I was very sad. I mean, just I was just grieving his presence in my life. But I was so joyful for him, in a way. It was just, it was so surprising to me that, um, that... It was just that those two completely different um, feelings were present, and it did create some kind of a neutrality of this is just, this is what it is. I mean, there was something akin to neutral because of those two things that were both present. And even my cousin, who's a sister, who was very, you know, that was pretty grief-stricken, you know, said to me the next day, I was really scared. I've been so scared of the moment. He's had cancer for a long time. She said, "I was. I've been so fearing this moment of when he, when I was going to be there and he was going to actually die." And she said, "It it just wasn't anything like. She's like, it wasn't like I thought it would be. It wasn't terrorizing, you know. And and you know, we talked a lot about that, about how that moment was not anything like." what we would have imagined or what we would have, you know, conjured it up to be. And that's a pretty dramatic moment, you know, as far as like life experiences, but but there was, you know, there was like an element of joy there that, that was really bizarre that I hadn't really thought about until until you said that. But um, you know, just like in the gratitude of like witnessing a human being take a step into the next play, I and mean, that there was something really big about that, um, and it connected. It, and in a way, everyone that was there got connected to that for just a split second, whether they were aware of it or not. You know, I mean, I just wanted to hold on to that as long as I could. Just you know, other people may have just felt it for a moment. I don't, you know, I don't know what what they did, but um, it was pretty. It had that that, that dichotomy feelings when that
9: happened. I'm glad the conversation's come around to this, because for a long time I think I felt like I was a sick puppy. Uh, because I, I would feel joy when I was creating or doing things. You know, with my body, working for the garden or working on the farm or something like that. But there was another time that I felt joy and that was when I put myself in a position where there wasn't another way to go. You know, I purposely put myself there and I knew that you know, it was a discipline to do that so that, so, and, and, and it was suffering. put myself purposely in suffering so that I could go through whatever I needed to go through to get there and, and in that there was a joy. And I thought, well, gosh, I'm sort of masochistic here to put myself in this.
5: It's something like the event.
9: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I <think> that's true. That's <laughs> yeah.
6: taught me that same thing about joy. Because he said, what's your fantasy? And I said, happily ever after. And that's what happily ever after is. Like, like a sustained joy or, you know. It's, and that certainly knocked a few bricks out of my foundation, like, to to get, to start to get that, 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 that couldn't be and have anything real with it. Like my whole life, I thought that's what it you know. I thought
5: that's how joy works. Well, and and by having happily ever after, then you give up half of life because by not having your uh, anger and your pain, and your your fear and sadness, then you don't have your whole life. That's uh, you only get that one fourth of. Of your life, and so is that really happy, happily, happily ever after?
9: I think we're, you're, that's just label, that's just another label, though, you have somehow separated it, and uh, it's like it's like you're saying uh, glad is one fourth and happy is glad, so that that gets rid of the others, and that's not the way it is. Only as a reference. I'm, my only point is that. It's not, it's,
5: uh, you can't have full life if you don't feel the other things. I was only using because there's four and you're missing three and you have one. Not as quantity.
9: So glad, glad comes from having everything I need. That's how I get it. The king has everything he needs. So that includes the others. When I have scared, when I have sadness, when i have anger then i have it all that's how i get to glad is by having the others but i can't have everything i need if i'm missing one that's why like i have to have all those and that's how i get to glad
5: well if you set it up that way but is my reference for happily ever after is just glad
9: well my reference for happily ever after is the circumstances are so and so Okay, that's my reference for happily ever after. It's like the, the princess and the prince, they rode off on their white horse, they lived happily ever after. And like, that's the end of the story. So it doesn't say that he cheated on her and, you know, poisoned her and, you know, killed her mother Come and on. they lived happily ever after. <laughs> it doesn't say, it just, it, it's like happily ever after to me means this is the circumstances just the way I want them but that's not necessarily the way it is. Maybe all this terrible stuff happened, and they lived happily ever after. When happy or glad includes the others, then that can happen. And happily ever after can happen.
1: When I have the other three, then I get the glad. Lee Loswick, I heard, has been describing redesigning the universe from... I had ever had it designed before. <laughs> it used to be like there was the middle world, and then there was the upper world and the underworld. Did you get through this already? Mm-hmm. Well, he he's redesigned it where he took the upper world and put it below the underworld. So here you have wow. the middle world, and the way to get to the upper world at all is <laughs> yeah. through the underworld. He wrote about something about That's that the middle,
2: <laughs> under, upper.
5: Yeah. <laughs> that the last moment you. Think of basically death is the only moment you can transcend to, the, to the upper world, going through the darkness.
1: Yeah, so it's through. Totally yeah, blind, yeah. But you can do that now. Yeah. You can do <laughs> it.
0: Yeah,
8: I
1: believe, a lot yeah. of people do.
0: It's,
1: it's like death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally oh, blind. it is a death. But yeah, but the death whole death you know one, the yeah. voyage is mm-hmm. through the underworld. Yeah, the underworld is only accessible through the underworld.
4: So if we're going to gain passage through the underworld, we have to stop judging the underworld and stop judging those things about ourselves that
0: relate as being
1: the underworld. But the judging was the underworld. Yeah,
4: I was
0: going to say the judging doesn't go away. <laughs> it's true. And the yeah. attachment to it, perhaps,
1: could. Perhaps. Oh, you're looking for the door on the other side of the underworld, what you're saying. The way, the way you get through the underworld, the yeah. other side, yeah. The way out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Take a tram.
1: Get neutral about your underworld.
2: I was going to say, you can be okay there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's always it's what you talk about now getting the bardos. I mean, <coughs> what, I, what I remember that when, when Bernal spoke about that, it's like the key to get through it is to be neutral and not react. Um, mm-hmm. And then you're, you go to the next place. I remember an exercise that we did at the first practicum I went to, and Star led it. I could not, I mean, I had no idea what it was because okay. it was all about energy and shifting your energy and you would go through these, hey, I mean, mm. I remember I think you
7: were the, the person baby. at the other end of mine. I mean, I
2: had no, I mean, I was still, I don't know how I did that. I had no idea what I was doing. And somehow people let me go through. I mean, I obviously was doing something and people let me go through, but, you know, it's like, it's just to bring it around to what you're talking about at the beginning, it's like, you know, there's just... There's an energy about it
4: that we don't, that we've forgotten, that we don't know. We're not in touch with anymore, in many ways. It's like I was in conversation with someone recently, and all that was coming out of her mouth was negativity about other people. And I sat there listening, and this person told me all she wanted was someone to listen to her. And I would, as soon as the negative would come out, I would immediately want to touch the negative and resist, attach, resist, attach, resist, and I finally worked to that place of neutrality where I was willing to allow that to be totally okay for her to express whatever she wanted to express and I didn't have to make it different. All she wanted was for me to listen. And I got to a place where the negativity wasn't even touching me at all. It was like all that was happening was that I was fulfilling her request, which was to listen. That she wanted someone to listen and I didn't take on any negativity about it. Nor did I resist it. It was really enlightening to see how, if I don't judge it and I don't call it something and I don't resist it, how really okay I can be with whatever is there.
1: Well, you can use that. You can do the same thing with anything that we're working with. That's that we're addicted about, or addicted to, or any any addictive functioning in our life if we're addicted to responding in a certain way or any any addiction that we're working with, substances or energetics or any addiction that we're working with is like a solution to the problem. And the problem is an alternative experience that <coughs> we're not that we're doing the addictive thing instead of. And so if you want to do the experiment then you 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 Go to what the problem is, which is this thing that we're trying to avoid by doing the addictive thing. Instead of doing the addictive thing, that you, you just go back into the thing that you're trying to avoid, and then it's hell. I mean, it's like this really this hell thing. And then the thing is, is like Chogyam Trungpa was saying. It's like they, they said, "What do you do when you're in hell?" And he says, "I try to stay there." Mm-hmm. So it's like that is to have it be okay to be in hell, and so. That's the thing is, usually we're avoiding it, or going. This is bad. This is wrong. I hate this, and I can't do this. I'm scared. You know, I'm. I'm just too sad. Whatever the thing is, and then go in there and just like try to stay there, do the opposite thing, and actually try to stay there as long as you can. Thus, we
2: build a matrix. Up
1: while we're there. We practice to build a container so that we can stay in hell
0: longer. <laughs> yeah, a little bit Don't longer. Don't tell your time. mother. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, I, can, I, I mean, the next time she tells me to go to hell, I'll say I'm trying to get there.
5: <laughs> well, and the longer we and the longer we stay in hell, the more normal it seems. At least for me, it just seems like that's more normal than, than the numbness is. Like it's, I'm getting comfortable with suffering. There's always more. Though. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs>